Welcome to Bounty Hunters Guild, a Mandalorian podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montrulo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? Uh, I'm officially boycotting Disney because uh, Disney is apparently boycotting baby Yoda gifts on Giphy uh, for copyright concerns, which I don't know if you're Disney, what concern there is. You, you know, you're, you're the, you know, you're the thing, right? It's Uh, free fucking marketing too. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to be like, well, I could watch a, you know, a Star Wars movie or I could just go on Giphy and look at gifts for five hours and not give the mouse money. But uh, yeah, I don't know how, how really accurate that story was because if you go on any other platform, and you type in Baby Yoda, it's thousands of fucking games. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're I think they're missing there, but I almost wonder if they're trying to cast themselves in that light so that people share those gifts more, and it's some kind of like Machiavellian scheme to get even more viral marketing with Baby Yoda. Probably, um, or someone just sent like a you know a like clickbait a, bullshit. Yeah, or just they someone got a letter. You know, like you you might not get a cease and desist letter mm-hmm. but you get like a hey just so you know they might do this in the future and then you know the company the hosting company uh takes it upon themselves to start you know doing it ahead of time but you know i get uh, there was that that um you know with star wars there was the uh somebody took the uh the the ray and kylo red room scene where they're just they're all like the fucking red guys are fighting and everything's just yeah, yeah. You know, snoke storm room yeah yeah and they they like cut it to a bunch of different pop songs right and it was just fun you know and it wasn't like people were pirating the music or not watching the movie but it was just you know it was they were they're like lightsaber battling it was like she's the dancing queen and they fucking <laughs> yeah. took all those down for copyright and it's like come on like no you didn't lose any money for that guys yeah no ridiculous absolutely ridiculous um, yeah, so, you know, uh, let's get into this episode of The Mandalorian, because I think, um, you know, we, we both really enjoyed the first two episodes. It was definitely a different show than we thought it would be. I think the show took a quantum leap in this episode in terms of quality and in terms of possibilities for what it could be and what it's going to be. Um, and I think, you know, Deborah Chow, who directed this episode, uh, just did a, a phenomenal job with the, with with this with this material um and uh, you know i again i i really enjoyed the first two episodes but it was still like oh man this is great this is like the star wars i kind of have always wanted you know it's exploring different interesting parts of the galaxy while still staying true to the to the source material um and this episode i think just completely you know blew us away uh in, in a really awesome and positive way and i i cannot wait to see the next episode like when this episode ended i was just like fuck man we gotta wait a whole week like this is the it's the brutality of this week to week you know model we're so used to binging everything um but it's it's also you know what's great about it is, is the anticipation and that kind of we're experiencing the same thing with Watchmen right now they're talking about it for the week in between where it's like oh shit well what do you think this is about and why do you think they did like uh, you know, in, in some ways, it's it's frustrating because we're so used to binging things now. But in other ways, it's like that. It, it I, I like it. The viewing you know, experience. You, you binge a whole season of of Stranger Things, and a week later, you don't remember it. Right? You don't talk, you're not talking about it a week later. No. Yeah. When you got a when you only get a little bit of you know half an hour, thirty minutes, forty minutes, an hour, you got to sit there and really process every little fucking detail. And it's clear they thought about every little detail. In all of this, uh, you know, they, they there was a bit more dialogue this episode than the last one where there was almost no dialogue at all, which I loved. Uh, but but still, it's not even just nonverbal storytelling. The main character, as little as he says, you have no facial cues whatsoever. You know, it just like completely all body you know, language. And I you, know, you look at the color palette of, of everything. It's very it's very dark. It's very desaturated as far as not like they desaturated in post, but just the colors there are subdued. It's blues and grays and browns. Right. And I almost think that, uh, you know, because so much of the of what you have to notice is sometimes just a very subtle hand gesture that that's why, like the the fingertips of his glove or his gloves are bright orange. And the, the hand gestures uh, in some of the most pivotal moments, the, the really like emotional moments of this movie or this episode are just hands 
doing things. Oh yeah, incredibly d- amazing storytelling with just as you as you mentioned hand gestures, just just the act of of you know what he what he does with the with the knob on one of his throttles in the ship is is like just an incredibly moving um series of images and it, and it, and it is just such a minor thing. No, you know, we get no facial expressions whatsoever, but he does a lot with what he has. So, um, even baby Yoda's know, little tiny hands are just like you, you'll, you'll see it's uh, all dark and you see a little hand reach up. Just, yeah, I want to grab the little thing. Just, it's a little shiny toy ball. I want it. I want that. I'm bored. I'm a I, kid. I, what's the John Favreau is like, well, what would, what would a baby want to play with in this room? It's a cockpit, <laughs> a little fucking shiny ball thing. Yeah. I'm convinced uh, that Baby Yoda is a uh, psyop by uh, the Disney Corporation to create future Disney consumers by convincing a bunch of uh, childless men to have adorable children because Baby Yoda is so adorable. (laughs) It's just like, how are we going to create the next generation of Disney users? Let's let's just convince all these men who have written off having children uh, about how cute children are and how a lot lot of men it's, it's the, it's the the clocks you got to have go off or or the female fans here, right? The ones that both anyone who watches the shows is like, Oh my God, look at how fucking adorable this thing is. I need to have, one, you know, like it's a psyop I'm convinced, but it's working. So, you know, Hey, (laughs) good for them, I guess. They just Um, realized that if we have the gifts, we won't want to procreate more, uh, Star Wars baby consumers <laughs> to buy toys for. Yeah. Just keep the memories in our head, and then yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, let's get into the episode. Uh, it, there's a lot to go over um, in terms of you know the kind of the emotional arc of the episode. Um, so the opening scene we get is uh, Mando coming out of hyperdrive. Um, you know he's in his cockpit. He's 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 coming back into. Um, I think it's Arvala Seven is the planet that that uh, the Bounty Hunters Guild is on. I'm, you know, don't quote me on that. But um, he is uh, coming back, and uh, you know, Baby Yoda is in the cockpit with him. He's uh, you know walking around, or I, I, he's reaching around, and he grabs, uh, he, he unscrews this knob from from uh, a throttle. It almost looks like maybe it's the hyperdrive uh, throttle, or it's one of the throttles in in the ship. Um, and he, and he unscrews the top of this knob and starts playing with it. Um, and he you know, puts it in his mouth too, the way a real baby. <laughs> <is>. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, I've done everything I can with my hands. It's time to eat it. Yeah, that's that's which is just the go-to for babies. Like, what am I going to do with this? Well, I guess I'm going to put it in my mouth because you know what? What else do you do with random objects that you pick up off the ground? Uh, and he, so yeah, he's playing with it. He he grabs it from me. He's like, oh, you know, don't 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 tape, don't play with that. It's not a toy. Um, it's not a toy. Not a toy. He yeah. picks him up really funny, kind of like by his robe, <laughs> puts him in like he's a, you know, like a like a sack of sack of potatoes or something. But uh, but yeah. but you know, in a sweet way, he doesn't throw him in. He's he's sweet about it. But it's funny how he still he still kind of tries to have that air of like, oh well, I still don't care about you, even though we know right. he fucking does. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't screw that knob back onto the throttle. He just kind of like sets it there on the console, right? Which is yeah, you know, you're kind of like, well, why doesn't he put it? You know, but clearly it's a we're setting things up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so at that moment, we're like, oh, well, you know, there's still kind of a cute playfulness between them. So he's not going to obviously bring him back to the client. Right. Uh, well, turns out that's exactly what he does. He brings him right to the client, uh, you know, walks r- right to uh, Werner Herzog in his little uh, room, whatever the hell, you know, <laughs> building he, that they're in. Back up a little bit. They They land. Uh, at a place we've seen him land before, which is, you know, sort of a small town kind of built into this little valley. Um, yeah. But this is still like the biggest group of civilization we've seen. Everything else is even less than that. And we're used to seeing these just, you know, entire planets uh, covered in, yeah. in one city. So we really get the sense this, this is yeah. remote uh, and that these are really tiny outposts and, you know, the, well, they're this, in the outer rim, which they make a point of. You know that the outer rim is way more right. of a wild west situation than than the the Galactic Federation of Planets. You know sure. the ones we're used to seeing, Coruscant. You know, but this is the second uh, time Yaman. we've come yeah. into this this little ravine where this town is, and yeah. even though it still seems sparse for the world of Star Wars, <clears throat> you get the impression from watching Baby Yoda that this is the most amount of people Baby Yoda has ever seen before. Yeah, because you know, there's like another ship coming down to land, and like the 
you know, like the, you know, thruster is blasting air out, the little, little ears are getting blasted back. And he's like, Whoa, I don't like this. Like I, I don't, this is <laughs> father. I sense danger, <laughs> you know? Uh, so right off the bat, you're like, okay, this is, you know, they, they had their adventure, just the two of them and baby Yoda was kind of like, Hey, this is fun. This is, this is, you know, we're going on a ride, you know, you got a giant rhinoceros. I can help you with that. But this, this landscape is like, okay, baby's in danger. And from from the jump, we're like, okay, this is not, we're not feeling this. This is not the, you know, the the camaraderie we were going to expect here. And just exactly what I wanted. I wanted to have this kind of like a, you know, he he's not a, a bounty hunter with a heart of gold right off the bat. No, it's a journey. He goes, and, and obviously, you know, I think it was it was meant to subvert our expectations a little bit. We assume like, oh no, he's obviously bonded with this guy, and he's with this with this baby, and he's not going to just give him up. But then, you know, that that's the start of the episode and the episode is even titled the sin referring to him uh bringing uh bringing baby yoda back to to Werner herzog the client so uh you know he gets he, he gets a call from grief carga carl weathers uh telling him you know go straight to the client uh bring him you know bring him right to his door and so and he does it you know in in a surprising move uh now he's greeted at the door by stormtroopers uh who kind of grab the 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 pod the egg that that baby yoda's in the cradle you know cradle floating cradle egg uh grab it pretty you know pretty aggressively he's like hey you know be careful with that easy with that and he and the guy's like you know fuck it typical imperial like fuck off you know don't talk to me um you take it easy yeah you take it easy but i said and and it's you know against the show that like he does he's conflicted he does care about this this baby uh, who saved his life, uh, you know, among other things. Um, but he's still, he's still like, Oh, I gotta, you know, he's still just conflicted. He's not, he's not, as you said, the hero at the heart of gold. He's still that shades of gray character that we've, that we've known him to be. Um, so, uh, you know, he brings him in the client, uh, the cloning doctor, uh, Dr. Pershing takes the baby away immediately before he even gets a chance to say anything um or, or ask any questions uh Werner herzog the client brings out the uh the uh the infamous ice cream maker uh which which we see is just uh basically a, a container a barrel to contain the beskar um currency in and people you know and it's a lot it's a fucking yeah, lot it's a, it's, like it's we already established that, that that one bar was already a lot Right. Yeah, uh, just enough for an entire shoulder pauldron. Yeah. So you figure, you know, thirty bars is enough to arm him and then some. Be completely right. armor him and then some. It, it's an and it's heavy too. Like even when they when he when he takes it, he's like you know strong he guys. He is, yeah. He's like his his weight is shifted trying to carry this bucket. Uh, you know, I mean, the first bar of of this stuff was in like a you know folded felt little napkin thing that Werner took it out of right so this is this is like the most anyone's ever had uh in a long time apparently yeah absolutely and when you see the mandalorian armor later on and all the other mandalorians almost none of them have beskar uh armor like you could tell just from the coloring because beskar is such a shiny silver reflect almost none of them have that in their in their outfits or they at least um, have a helmet but not much else yeah which so. is the most important you know protection but, but like that's that's it yeah because it's, yeah. it's such a rare material but um yes yeah, so, just a funny side note and, and i didn't realize this is the thing apparently there's a big funny thing in, in star wars fandom there, there's this quick scene in Empire Strikes Back as everyone's kind of evacuating the Cloud City after the, every all the shit went down with Vader and the Empire, and there's this one random guy running, uh, running you know through the halls, and he's carrying th- the same kind of containment device that we see in this episode that the Beskar is contained in, and a bunch of people you know I guess online or even maybe this was even pre online figured out that it was just like a uh, like a Hamilton Beach like home ice cream maker <laughs> that they you know painted over the logo but that it was just an ice cream maker that this guy was carrying around and it kind of sort of looked sure. star warsy and futuristic so it was a kind of funny nod from favreau to include that in this episode so prominently as like and i'm the, sure the original prompt from from empire like was like five dollars like oh hey go buy that ice ice 
cream bucket maker thing. We'll paint it up. Or and like some prop guy found it yeah. at a flea market. I was like, oh, this kind of looks futuristic. Why don't we, why don't we see what the, if we could do anything so, with so this? So even though it, they had a bigger budget, it was still make shit up as you go. Where to yeah. just to do that little callback in this probably cost them $15,000 to have it you know, <laughs> open up from four different angles. And there's lights on it. And it's fucking, you know, got the little... You know, elevator. They do invent this fucking thing, yeah. yeah. That a functioning version. Um, but but, but, but then so yeah. but then five hundred nerds will go out and buy one and take it to fucking Comic Con and parade around in their costumes and Disney makes another million dollars. So it's it's worth it for them. <laughs> it's no, it's certainly worth it. Um, yeah. So he sees he sees Baby Yoda leaving with Pershing. He asks about what will happen to it. Um, uh, the client says, well, you know, that's none of your business. That's a breach of, of the bounty hunters code. You know, you aren't, you're not supposed to ask. And, and the stormtrooper walks over menacingly. So it was, it would, the implication was like, shut the fuck up or we'll kill you. You know, don't, don't ask about that. What, what, what are you doing? Right. Um, so, you know, he, he takes his best car and leaves. Um, and you know, it, that's the moment where of course we all turned on him. I'm sure watching like what the, and, and obviously I think we all kind of figured, oh, well, he's going to go back for it, but still like, fuck you, dude, come on. Really? Like you just gave that baby up without any. Yeah. And that um, was the, and it's really a, the first time you hear baby Yoda make like a really human baby noise where it's like, Oh yeah. God, it's so heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mewing as he's being removed from the room. It's like, ah, yeah, like just, ah, come on. Just, just, God damn it. Just go shoot all these people and take that baby back. Um, which he does later, obviously. Um, yeah. So he takes the, the Beskar straight away to, um, the, the, um, the armor, the armor. Yeah. Uh, to, to be forged. And, you know, it's a, he's in there with her and he shows her the Beskar. She goes, Oh wow. This is a lot of fucking Beskar. This is going to attract some attention. Uh, and yeah, sure enough, a bunch which of, is- clearly does amongst his own comrades they're like hey what the what the fuck <laughs> like yeah and we don't uh, we don't know the relationship we don't know like how tight they are or not and, and i love that because you get the sense of, like are are they all just mutual body hunters and they're all just gonna fucking steal it from him uh well so and, this is actually the interesting thing about mandalorians is that most of them are not bounty hunters they it's a it's a right. warrior clan we don't, called, like, we don't know that culture. but yeah we, we don't know that in that moment like and even if they are you know, clearly he's walking around on his own and they're like, Hey, we all have to stay in hiding more than you do. So like, why aren't you sharing that bounty? Right. Uh, and, and, and there's a very immediate, um, you know, conflict there. Cause you know, the, the fucking biggest one of them with, you know, like the fucking combat armor finally decides like he, he wants a confrontation and he just reaches down and fucking grabs, Mando's helmet and just like, come here and fucking pulls him up and they pull knives on each other. And it, went, and it was clear that it wasn't a matter of they're, – they're not like a materialistic people. It wasn't a matter of jealousy. He picks up a bar to look at it but then puts it back. It wasn't like we right. want this shit. It was just like you fucking scum. You're working with the people that literally purged our our land. They purged our society and took all of our resources. You're working for these scum. You're sitting at dinner tables with them. Right. But you're learning all um, of this expository stuff in the moment in a really, as they're, in a as really they're about to fight. Way. Yeah, and just, you know, you know that, like, their armor is sacred. Probably, like, their helmets are the most sacred. So the fact that he grabs his fucking helmet from underneath is probably... Huge is disrespect. <laughs> extremely. And then you wonder, like, are they are they brothers? Like, is this a normal thing for them to spar like this? Is just, like, is he the only other one who would ever dare do that to him? Oh. Like, you, you just have all these questions about their prior relationship uh, from that very brief kind of, you know, just... Um, very juvenile interaction where he's like, look, you know, I bring home the bacon. Why are you fucking grabbing my shit? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was also like, um, you know, and th- th- you could tell it's a proud warrior culture. And that's the thing with, with Mandalorians is that like our, the most famous Mandalorians that we know of, you know, whether you consider them Mandalorians or not, are Jango Fett and Boba Fett, who are both bounty hunters. But, but by and large, the Mandalorians are a warrior culture and a tribal clan culture. And they're not, bounty hunters by trade it's just that those particular ones and this particular one happen to be amazing bounty hunters because of their skills as warriors but they're but the 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 armor that they wear is mandalorian like war armor so and you know the whole idea of all these these refugees living in hiding is because the empire so thoroughly destroyed their 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 society and taken their taken everything from them that they are forced to kind of you know 
remain in hiding because they can't still, I guess, you know, show their because they were, you know, in, in defiance of the empire. So they're still. No, not it's a, able it's a to great just... internal conflict within their group because clearly, like their their society isn't decimated, and even on this little outpost they're at. Uh, even though they know the empire is destroyed, they still he even says like we don't feel safe going out as a group, like we'll be yeah. targeted more as a group. We only go out individually, which goes against their you know their code, right? And he clearly goes out the most, right? And it seems like they depend on him to some degree because he's you know making a lot of armor with it, but he, he always has some left over for the rest or for the you know the foundlings, he takes care the, of the foundlings, the, you yeah. know the little the little Lebowski urban achievers wherever they are uh, somewhere off world. <laughs> so it's not as though like he's he, they're really at odds. It's just like they're they're all kind of trying to do their own separate thing, and it's only when you know it looks like they're really gonna have a knife fight that, uh, you know, the, the armor kind of reminds them of what their code is. And we hear it for the first time, you know, this is the way or whatever, you know, what they say this, you know, and they all repeat yeah. it in unison. But, uh, you know, our, our hero Mandalorian doesn't say it in unison with them. He's, he repeats it after they say it, you know, indicating that he is still a little bit more apart from them than the rest of yeah. they are. Yeah. But you could tell it's a very orthodox, almost religious, like tribal, you know, the tradition and that that it's enough to disarm this big fucking, you know, galoof who's ready to kill uh kill our men our our, you know, titular hero. Yeah. But the, the one the interesting thing with the helmets is that it really reminded me, and I wonder how much they drew on this, of uh Lucha Libre culture, which is this Mexican wrestling tradition. Uh, in Mexican, in Mexico, uh, wrestling is taken extremely seriously, Lucha Libre, and they all wear, uh, masks, right? And it's an extreme dishonor to be, to be unmasked. Like, that's the thing that they'll use oftentimes in angles, but like, you know, wrestlers go their entire lives in Mexico without removing their masks. It's a huge sign of disrespect to try to rip one off while you're in a match. You gotta like take a shower and bathe yourself though. Like you just don't take it off with anybody else. Well, like literally, uh, they're like famous, like Mil Mascaras and like people like that. Famous Mexican wrestlers never leave the house without their mask. It's like psychotic the level of devotion to. Right. So they still wash and, it. They still like clean their face. Oh, I'm the sure at home they don't. Yeah, yeah. But well, but that's, so that's I, I, I wonder with these guys like it when reminded did, me of when do they eat? Like how do they straws? <laughs> they fucking <laughs> they all straws. Uh, no, no, no washing of the hair, no shaving. Fucking mess under there. Probably. Those helmets no, got I, a fucking stink. Oh jeez, I was thinking about that in that moment where he said, "Dude, have you ever taken it off? Has it ever been taken off?" And he said, "No." I was like, "Good God!" Like the stench in that room. <laughs> Clearly, it, those things are vented. I mean, in in it, it can't mean never. It, it must mean in present in the presence of others. I assume. I hope. <laughs> I, I fucking hope for his well, sake. Oh God! Or it's got like a really high tech internal showering, uh, air washing <laughs> uh, system in there. Something. Oh, good God! Yeah, I don't want to think about it. Um, but yeah, so so you know, she convinces them that he has a really interesting blade too. That's kind of like a vibrating like dagger. Like it, you, like the, the you saw the blade was like I don't know what that was about. If that's like to get in between. Armor. No, that's, or, that's from the animated series from from Rebels. They have they have a couple of different versions because there's like like lightsabers and then there's like the black blade lightsaber, right? And then that's they a have dark just saber, like yeah. right, and they have like just like regular knives, but they they have like a subsonic vibration. So if you mm-hmm. stab somebody with it, it's it's just like a you know one of these like exploding bullet you know cop killer bullets where you just stab someone with a knife, but it's you know like tearing your flesh apart at like a subsonic level. So mm. uh, it was kind of cool. Okay. They included that. It's, it's not like a yeah, big no. plot point, but the, you know, just cool a little Easter bit egg. A, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, she, so, but so then they, they calm down. She forges him his armor, the entire fucking, you know, fleet of armor. Um, she, she asks him how, how he, uh, he, how he sustained his wounds, or his damage, and she he talks about how he how he killed the mudhorn, and she says, oh, "Okay, well, the mudhorn will be your signet," kind of shedding some more light on the whole idea of like maybe signet is like a a symbol that you choose to represent like a conquest of yours or something that's important to you. And he sure. just you know he de- he declines it because he said, "Well, I didn't do it. You know, I had help from my enemy, um, who didn't know I was his enemy." Uh, but so she doesn't forge it uh she does forge it and i think that'll be significant because i think when he does have a signet forged eventually it'll be something 
extremely significant to the plot. Sure. Uh, but it does shed light on their, their ethos or their code that their bounty is considered the enemy. And in this case, clearly he doesn't think that, but he's still telling himself that to rationalize why, you know, what he did was okay. Uh, you know, this is a bounty that couldn't defend itself, but instead defended him. Yeah. Right. So it, it, this idea that the episode is called the sin, it's on a couple different levels, right? Cause he's, he's sort of breaking the code of the Mandalorian by doing business with the empire on one level. He's already sort of broken the bounty code by asking questions about the bounty after the bounty's really already been paid the bounty to him. Code later. <laughs> and then, yeah, so he's, he's breaking all the fucking rules really fucking quick. Uh, but I mean, you know, it's for a good cause, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the idea of this, like, we don't care about all these other bullshit codes. We care about the baby, the fucking baby. That's the only sin we really care about. But you understand the tremendous pressure he's under uh, for his life and for his, his code of honor with Mandalorians and the Bounties Guild um, for for what he's about to do uh, and, and how committed he is once he makes that decision. You know, yeah. like if if we could see his face the whole time, we would see all this doubt, right? But we don't get that. We get this stole, you know, the, the stone cold, steely confidence at all times, up until we don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she forges uh, whistling birds for him, which are these wrist rockets, which obviously come into play later in the story. But they're, you know, we've seen them before in Star Wars canon i think i think we first saw them when Django fett used them in in the original uh, or in the you know in the prequels um i could be wrong about that but uh and you know during that scene of forging we get some more flashbacks uh you know similar to the first scene or from the first episode uh we get we get a more definitive shot of of one of the um one of the uh, Galactic Trade Federation, uh, uh, oh, fuck, I can't remember. I, I I know the name, but the 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 big, you know, the big Super bulky Terminator droid. looking, which I think was actually the first time we've ever seen one of those brought to life practically because it looked real, and uh, you know, every all the prequel versions were obviously all CG completely. Yeah, well, um, they just lit it so it didn't show every little fucking detail. Like it didn't look corny as fuck to me when they did it well, it, was just, it looked better it looked more like terminator where you see like it like in t2 yeah. where you see the fucking real exo metal exoskeletons versus the super you know fake looking droids of the prequels yeah so i but it made it clear that it was you know they they were uh he was a victim of the galactic trade federation the separatist uh you know war on on the trade yeah. federation well, and this was where it felt like they you know a little flashback was you know <clears throat> was good. I didn't think yeah. that it fit in the opening episode or at least not to the extent that they showed it, uh, took me out of that moment here. It felt like, okay, this is the episode where we can, you know, believably start working in some backstory and what's the culture and where did he come from? I didn't want to see that in the pilot though. Yeah. Well, it also explains why he doesn't like droids because you know, <laughs> his fucking life was ruined by droids. That's why he was so adamant about not taking a droid piloted uh, cruiser in the first episode. Uh, so that shed some more yeah. light on that. But again, I didn't need to have the explanation five minutes after the question. No, no. Well, I, I think that, you know, now it's, it's a lot more significant in this episode. Um, but uh yeah, so we get those. Uh, we we he next we next see him walking into the cantina, just looking sleek as fuck with this awesome new Beskar armor, head to toe. Um, you know, Carl Weathers, Grief Karga sees him from across the room. You know, Mando shouts out across the fucking room. You know, just real. Re- Carl Weathers is really like going for it in this role, um, which you know, good for him. <laughs> you know, cash cash that check. But uh, it, it's you know he's he's. He's a fun character for sure. Very over the top. I don't know if well, he, he knows what show he's on. Of, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he's sort of excited for him, even though he knows he's drawing more attention to him than he probably wants. But at the same time, like, dude, you just walked into the bar where no one's making money, flashing your fucking bling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, he's like, hey, check it out. I got some of this shit too. He's, he, you know, not melted down. But, you know, clearly that, that kind of pissed him off pissed off Mando to know that um you know this this the steel that should by by right only be uh belonging to mandalorians you know his sort of boss has some 
and thinks it's all just like, oh, we all just share this. And it's like, no, 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 this is like this. This belongs to me. And you've got some of it still. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, he's you know, he 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 tells him that every single uh, bounty hunter on the planet had a fob, um, which, you know, failed to mention the first time he gave him the gave him the job. But whatever, you know. <laughs> Uh, but it, but it was, it, you know, it, it was obvious that, uh, at some point that a million of these fucking bounty hunters were after the same bounty. Um, but like, it seems like none of them really went to go get it. Like some of them are probably stuck there on that planet and didn't get all the information about where it really was. Cause it was not on that planet. Like some of them are just fucking lazy and they just hang around the bar all day getting drunk, <laughs> you know, exactly. like, and they're, they're kind of jealous of not just that he gets the rewards, but he, puts in the work, you know, he has the ambition to do these things and there's, there's some jealousy there. It's like, well, if you all had the same stuff, why didn't you all go off world to go find this thing? Well, I bet some of them did and wasted a lot of fuel and then got word of like, oh, well, the bounty has been found and came back. And that's why they're extra pissed at it. You know, like they did nobody in that fucking bar is happy to see him when he walks in. Um, undoubtedly. Um, so, you know, he says like, give me my next job. Uh, you know, Carl Weathers is trying to get him to go like get, get, get like a fucking happy ending at the, you know, spa or whatever with him. But he's like, no, I want to, I want, I want my next job. Cause you know, he's, he's obviously he's, he's riddled with guilt. He wants to get, he says he wants to get as far away as possible essentially for his next yeah. job. Well, he's abandoned his boy. He wants to get away. Motherfucker. What a motherfucker. But yeah, so he says <laughs> two lines from there will be blood for anyone that didn't catch that. Okay, um, so he uh, one of the pucks he shows him is uh, a Mon Calamari. Uh, he says it's a nobleman's son. I don't know if we're supposed to assume that that's Admiral Akbar's son and just another random Mon Calamari. Uh, you know, they all they and and this is not racist, but in Star Wars, they literally all look the same. They all have the big fucking fish eyes and the big you know, <laughs> the big head and shit. Uh, all the Mon Calamari. Um, uh, and, but so I, you know, I thought that was just a fun little Easter egg. Uh, but he, you know, I guess he, uh, he takes the job, uh, and he goes into his ship and starts to take off, He powers it up and he reaches for the throttle. Uh, and he sees that the missing knob is still missing. It's on the, you know, it's on, it's not screwed on. It's on the, it's on the dash or whatever. Um, and he, you know, pauses over it. It's obviously, Again, another amazing moment of acting without using your face. Just really, you know, the way he plays it, it, it really is heartbreaking. And it's like, yeah, motherfucker, that's you did that. You know, you left them. Make it right. Um, they did it all within one shot too. Uh lesser yeah. cinematographer would, you know, show the hand, reach for it and then cut and show his yeah. know, helmet, turn and look, yeah. you know, and then show the hand again, kind of like, you know, uh, <clears throat> relax away from the lever. They didn't do that. They did all one single frame where you see them all in focus. Hand reaches out, realizes that knob's gone. And then they rack focus away from his face to just the hand. So you have no choice but to focus on what his, you know, orange fingertip glove is reaching for. And then his hand kind of like, you know, does a little retraction and then drops down like, oh, yeah, that's why that's not there. Like little baby screwed it off. Uh, and yeah, and that, that's where, it. you know, he's just like, well, all right, I'm breaking all the rules now. I'm going to sin yep. against everyone because I need that little fucking baby in my life. And that's, and that, and that probably was a Deborah Chow decision, uh, that, that, you know, to set up the shot that way. Um, certainly director's discretion type deal it, it, for a good director, at least. Um, and, and they would have yeah. shot it a couple of different ways. You know, you always want to have the master shot where you get everything in one yeah, frame coverage and. Yeah. And then you do those insert shots and then, you know, you as a director, work your editor, figure out, well, what, what is the most impactful? Well, if you can get it all in one shot, that's amazing. But without that narrow depth of field and that rack focus, it, it would not, it, you wouldn't be able to know where you wouldn't know where to look. Right. That that's, yeah. that's why having a, I forget the guy's name, the director of photography from rogue one, who's shooting all of this series. And I hope others uh, is, is making everything look regardless of who the director is look amazing in every single episode. 
They gotta get that dude for fucking Obi Wan, the, the Obi Wan series, which Deborah Chow, by the way, is 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 being is writing. Uh, she's she's the director of this episode. No, she's not the writer. Or she's show or show running, show running, right? Show running. I'm sure she'll direct a majority of the episodes, if not all, and maybe write some. And who you know, showrunners do a lot of well, shit. I mean, right. Well, the, the apparently the main writer for the Obi Wan series, at least the first season, is gonna be the writer from the movie Drive with. Um, Ryan Gosling, which has almost no dialogue at all. So I would love to see them continue this where it's, you know, almost mumblecore, if not no dialogue, and do the same thing with uh, Ewan McGregor, who, you know, charming as hell, but just do like another space western, lots of screen action, very little dialogue. I'd love that. Yeah. Well, and by the way, for people that are, don't know, haven't done screenwriting before, just because there's no dialogue in a movie like Drive, I'm sure that script is still extremely dense with all of the the characterizations and the actions and everything yeah, yeah the screenwriting it's, it's still, is not just still writing 90 pages words. long <laughs> fucking you know it's still yeah i'd actually love to read j- j- see that script just for the utility of how it's put together because uh that, that'd be an interesting interesting uh script but um <laughs> yeah ryan gasoline sits in a car unblinking for two minutes <laughs> <laughs> ryan gosling smolders behind the wheel yeah um so yeah so uh you know he shuts down the ship and decides to go back uh he goes back outside he finds the uh egg the carriage pod in a dumpster um which just seems wasteful i mean you know that thing that thing was pretty cool tech like you couldn't have used that for something else or just to transport the baby back and whatever you know it was symbolic it was like oh these motherfuckers you know they clearly don't care about this kid. Um, so we see him setting up on a ridge you know, using his kind of scope, which has some kind of a, a radar X-ray technology with an audio, you know, some futuristic bullshit where he can see and hear through walls. Um, not unprecedented in Star Wars, but just, you know, kind of silly tech. Uh, but so he hears uh, Pershing and the client talking to each other and Pershing uh, or uh, the client says, um, you know, just extract the necessary material and be done with it. I think lending some more credence to what we were saying about he's not an actual clone, but he they want to take his genetic material and or his midichlorians to use. in oh, a clone. God I know, I know, I know, I know. I said uh, the M word. I'm sorry. Tr- trigger warning for this podcast. <laughs> Mandalorian will be said or uh, midichlorian, excuse me, will be said. uh couple times uh but so in their in their conversation also of course you know conveniently to the plot deliberately cuts out uh at one point pershing says uh uh, he says it's unclear explicitly ordered that they bring it back alive so who is he talking about is he talking about the emperor is he talking about a less significant imperial figure is he he talking about a camino like who knows like but i I don't think it was an accident that is he talking about Darth Maul? Like, who knows? Uh, but it's not insignificant that it cut out when he said somebody explicitly ordered it to be uh, brought back alive. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and so, yeah. So from there, we get a really incredibly well shot uh, action sequence where he's kind of trying to basically it's a it's a small scale raid on this this little facility. So he walks in, you know, he shoots a couple of stormtroopers Um he finds finally the room that 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 Pershing's holding uh, baby Yodes in. He's he's there on on the table getting scanned, uh, you know, clearly scanning his 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 genetic material or something. Uh, and uh, you know, Pershing's in there. He shoots a stormtrooper behind him, and then he holds the gun on Pershing, who says, "You know, don't kill me, or don't kill." Or he actually he says, "Like, don't kill him. He's just a kid." Uh, you know, I think I think we're to assume that he's just more concerned with getting the, the 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 genetic material that he wants versus like protecting the kid's life although he has shown Maybe. more more I, affinity I mean, for he it he might than, be than undercover the has. i would i would love to find out he's like undercover resistance rebel whatever and you know because clearly like he he he's only concerned with keeping it alive um and keeps stalling right if he's if he's trying to keep his own life in play or his own job, and you know he's being threatened constantly uh, for contradicting, being like, "Oh no, no, no we need, need definitely need alive, definitely need alive." Like, there, there's more going on there. We're going to see him again. There's going to be more than just, "Oh, I work for the Empire, and I'm a slightly more ethical clonist than these motherfuckers." But yeah. we'll see. 
undeniably. Um, yeah, so he's an interesting character for sure. Um, but uh, so, you know, he, he says, just bring him back alive. So Mandalorian walks in there, picks it up out of this little scanner and walks out with it, leaving Pershing uh, alive for the time being. Um, so uh, he, you know, has to fight his way out, essentially. And it's really interesting. I, I love the way they shot this, where he had to basically find ways to to hold off these stormtroopers using one arm because he's got to hold the baby. Uh, so he's, you know. Shoots and, and by corners. hold them off, we need we mean murder them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, he, he not kills die every last by one. murdering them. Yes, in a slightly different way. I mean, that even when he like fucking grapples the one and, and recoils the you know wire and just pulls the guy into his knife, they got to cut away because it's fucking Disney. But man, <laughs> it, when he fucking torches the one like a marshmallow and you hear him screaming, you're like, all right, Disney, now we're okay. Now you're getting into the swing of things here. With the fucking murder fest. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, we talked a lot about his competency as a bounty hunter and like, you know, maybe he's not as good of a bounty hunter as he as uh, people claim, but he is certainly a great warrior. And I think that comes from the fact that he was raised in the Mandalorian warrior culture, which is why he's amazing at hand to hand combat, but maybe not so great at, you know, taking on a group of, of warriors in a gun battle or. Is trying he good to hand-to-hand tr- hand combat? It just seems like he shoots them and burns them to death <laughs> or stabs them. Like, I don't... I, or he's, I, good at, I, he's good at close quarters combat. Put it that way. Like, he's good at, sure. like, clo- like one, one to one or, like, four, three or four to one. But, like, when he's had to chase after, like, the Jawas, he looked like a hapless fool. You know, he looked ridiculous. Sure. But, like, but he's, he's clearly... He's really good at killing somebody with one fucking weapon at a time. He's but really good at he, shit that he learned in the Mandalorian, like, warrior sure. culture. You know? Like, I think they're they're kind of trying to say that. It, I don't think it's... What All I'm saying is I don't think it's dis... Um, uh, I, I don't think it's, it's contradictory the way he's good at some fighting but not at others. I think the areas where he's good at fighting are things that he would have had to learn while while learning while training with his, his tribe you know what i mean it's just not at all the way that we're used to seeing it's like you know when you watch a regular star wars movie it's like someone shoots a blaster uh and you see the laser go off frame right and then the camera cuts and you see a fucking uh stormtrooper the laser bolt hits it and it goes ah, it falls down and that's it and or doesn't like, hit because stormtroopers are atrocious shots, notoriously. No, I'm talking. If you see a stormtrooper get killed, it's oh, yeah, always yeah. far away. It's a laser blast. Their armor doesn't do shit. And here, it's like he's fucking, you know, burning people alive inside their suits, uh, shooting them with these little midge bird tweeting missiles, uh, stabbing them in the back of the head. Like it, this is a lot more violent than we've seen in, in the Star Wars world, as far as yeah. up close, like killing people from a foot away. Uh, rather than just like pew, pew, dead, you know, we see, like, by the way, the the strength of Beskar, because at one point when he when the door opens and there's a stormtrooper that surprises him, he just shoots him. But it, it glances right off of his shoulder, his pauldron, like because like, you know, that that Beskar is, is strong enough to withstand blaster bolts, unlike stormtrooper armor, uh, which is mostly just for show and intimidation uh, and, you know, uniformity. It holds um, the heat in when you're being burned to death from a from a fucking <laughs> wrist torch. Yeah. It seems almost completely useless, honestly, as as armor, and it's almost just seemingly there to intimidate and to destroy the kind of individuality of of members of. And at one point, you know, it was it was just for clones, and then it you know it became uh, branched out and used conscripts. But um, yeah, so uh, you know, at one point, as you kind of alluded to, he's cornered by four stormtroopers. You're like, "Oh fuck, how's he gonna get out of this one?" He puts the 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 baby down. You know, he says, "Like, no, don't shoot me. This is a really important pack. You know, really important uh, package or whatever." He says, uh, and and puts Baby Yoda down gently. Uh, and as he's still down, he he triggers off the uh, whistling birds, which were the wrist rockets that were, I guess, almost like proximity rockets on his wrist, which you know just go and 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 destroy the four stormtroopers in a really cool fucking scene the way they shot it um you know really really cool use of 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 star wars tech for sure um so you know and then that and that's how he gets out of the facility so he starts walking towards the ship and um this was the scene where I, i when we talked about this off air a little bit where this where the show really kicked up a notch where the um where everyone's kind of sitting in the bar kind of downtrodden uh and 
all of a sudden all of their fobs start blinking like their their fobs start blinking that hey uh you know uh, targets on the move again uh it's not no longer no longer off the board uh and it's and it's just really well done no no stupid hokey exposition it's just like hey um you know shit's back on <laughs> the race is back on basically uh and, and and you just feel this overwhelming sense of dread because you know that he's got to get to his ship and there's a fuck ton of bounty hunters sitting between him and his and safety uh and he's carrying this baby so he's fucking one-armed and he's you know used a lot of his ammo or used a lot of his weaponry uh and uh he's pretty fucked so you know that the, no, it's the, like the, a horror movie though where it was yeah you know that you're, you're trying to get away from all the zombies and you do one little thing that trips all their attention yeah and you think like, that oh walking i hope dead. they didn't hear that and like they all heard it <laughs> and they they've done that walking dead before where it's like you make a noise and then all of a sudden like they all kind of slowly turn and you're just like oh fuck it's a really effective storytelling trope um that i think sure. they used to great effect when, here when you see it with zombies it's like all right i've seen this a million times when you yeah. see it with bounty hunters with little little uh motion detector you know or tracking fobs or whatever it's like okay this you know it, it was hard enough getting out of the you know little place with all the stormtroopers now you've got 50 more people that are right there yeah. there's only about six or seven of them in that in, in that in that building you know stormtroopers so it wasn't a huge uh, we see the room full of them and at one point there's only like four in the room with it there's probably six to seven total in that room so it was an impressive feat but it was still like you know he he, he it was only six seven guys he took out now it's as you said 50 to 100 bounty hunters who were really fucking pissed at him and uh you know <laughs> doubly motivated to make sure he does not make it to his ship so that was definitely a, a really great moment of uh tension sure. that they... and and presumably if they they kill him they're going to take his armor too so like they want that also <laughs> yeah no for sure they want they want that they want the target they want the armor they just want revenge for him fucking them over and then breaking the bounty hunters code which they all take very seriously you know carl weathers takes certainly takes very seriously eh. um it, it's kind of like it's kind of like that scene from one of the whatever the pirates of the caribbean movie where it's like, it's eh, like it's not, really, not really a code so much as the guideline yeah yeah um yeah but so he um you know, uh, he, 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 it's very, very old West standoff where everyone's kind of surrounding him and he, and he walks into this kind of like the town, the center of town and, um, Carl Weathers is waiting in the middle and, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, where the fuck do you think you're going basically? And, um, yeah. And it, it was, it was pretty great. And, and so the, uh, at, at that moment he's like well i don't know what the fuck to do and he decides to make a stand so he you know he starts shooting at them dives into into this little kind of like wagon cart thing to, for cover basically can uh you know hold holds the droid up at gunpoint to get him to drive and it, it again a very old west reminiscent shot where you see a lot of old west uh movies where they're where you see our hero kind of like on a on a wagon train shooting up at at, at uh uh, villains as he's passing them standing on top of roofs and like it's a very, very slowly by the way yeah well and it's a but and that's what you see all the time in old west movies where where you're, you're like you're trying to escape from a town that's trying to you know hunt you down and there's guys on the roof and you shoot at them as you pass it's it was to me it was a very evocative shot of uh of westerns again which is clearly a huge uh influence on this entire series um so grief cargo eventually shoots the droid uh driving the ship and uh crashes it uh so he's fucked you know everyone's kind of trying to approach him he he pulls out his his awesome uh rifle disintegrator gun thing that he has uh disintegrates four or five of them which gets enough of them to back off you know intimidated uh you know from the from the strength of it uh, uses his flamethrower until he runs out of flame, uh, and he seems pretty fucked, right? Uh, and then, uh, just in a really satisfying, awesome moment in the episode. Wait. and oh yeah, yeah. Before you get to that, there's a little misdirection where he looks down at Baby Yoda, 
and you think, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Is, is Baby Yoda going to save him again? Because it goes all slow motion, and they're you know making eye contact. That's the what I thought at that moment, yeah. Because you know Baby saved him before, and you're like, okay, what's Baby Yoda going to do this time? <laughs> uh, and then you see the shot looking up at, at the Mandalorian, and you see something streak over his head. And you think, oh, what's baby doing? <laughs> Is yeah. baby like well, in that calling moment, the ship in to blow everyone up or what? And in that moment, too, you're almost like, you almost think he was thinking like, hey, come on, kid. Fucking help me out here. Like, I know you, yeah, I know you can. Because he doesn't know what the force is. And he's like, whatever you did before, do that thing again. Because, like, we're, we're both going to die right now. <laughs> can you just lift all these guys uh, it, it, long enough for us to run through them and get to the ship or something? Yeah, I, I can't um, stab them all. But if you can just, like, fling them off into different directions, like, they'll they'll die if you can do yeah. that. I don't know if you can do that. Yeah. So, but then, and just a, an amazing uh, triumphant moment. You see, uh, as you said, the guy fly overhead. And you see all the Mandalorians basically coming out of hiding for the first time presumably in years to help him out because at the end of the day, despite the fact they have conflict with him, he is still one of them and they're not going to let a bunch of fucking bounty hunters kill him, you know, uh, in cold blood. Uh, and they, and they defend him and it's, it's fucking awesome. And then he even says to them at one, you know, right, right, right. When they arrive, he's like, you're going to have to find a new, find a new hiding spot or whatever. And they're, they're just like, yeah, we don't care. We're, you know, we're here to help you. You know, it, it, it was just a really nice moment. And there was a lot of, unsaid uh unsaid story there you know like the just 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 really uh visual storytelling with that with that entire scene um and it, and it just becomes an amazing you know old west shootout but with star wars laser guns you know just real real fucking awesome <clears throat> shit that we that we yeah. never really get to see on this this much of a guerrilla warfare level and star wars uh story and it's really small it's like in a courtyard but it's just so fucking cool and well shot that it was like I, you know I, I just was i had a smile on my face the entire time i mean they have the fucking heavy trooper with the big you know the the the, the um like the 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 barrel gun you know like but like with laser like it's just so fucking cool uh the, the way they shot this scene well and we don't really know a lot about them. If, I'm sure if you watched the animated series you would know kind of more that you know what this code is and everything but all we really know from the live action world is you know these these people who are you know share the same name as him uh at least one of them the biggest one was going to beat his ass <laughs> over <laughs> just being dissatisfied with them living in this tunnel uh you know and it's it's clear it's like they're they're sort of refugees so it's not like they're partial to that tunnel Right. But mm-hmm. still, they're putting themselves at risk for him. Uh, you know, they don't get much out of it. Like he's taken off. They're staying behind, at least temporarily, until you know, I'm, I assume they have a ship they can use. They're not going to fly off into space on those jetpacks. But, you know, it, it like you realize there's a camaraderie there that uh, went far beyond the, the the brief altercation that we saw before, which is kind of, I mean, that that's not only is he being saved, he's being saved by people that we didn't even know if they would have his back, nor did we yeah. expect them to show up in that moment. So, uh, you know, and still, this is only, this episode was only 38 minutes long, a little bit longer than the last one, but it's still a really short, very short, concise, taut story. Uh, and, and even in that moment where you're like, Oh, he's going to get away. Um, and, and this is, you know, his, his friends are willing to sacrifice for him. He's still not, still not on the planet yet. You know, I'm still like waiting for a larger ship to show up and just blow his ship up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, even when he's walking in a ship, I'm like, there's no fucking way. There's not going to be some guy waiting for him in the ship. I, I didn't know it was going to be Carl Weathers, but I was like, somebody's going to be waiting for him on his fucking ship. Like nobody's stupid enough to not have one guy on that ship. Um, but no, I love that scene. Like you said, you know, he says like, you're gonna have to relocate. And the guy says, you know, this is the way, uh, which was just a great, Great callback, and and it, it obviously is going to be a bit of a saying for this show. Uh, it's already, you know, this, is how, you know, this is how we avoid our microaggressions. Is this is the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it, great, just super inspiring, awesome scene. Um, yeah, so he gets back on his ship. Uh, Carl Weathers, Grief Carga. I'm just going to call him Grief Carga. People know what I'm talking about. Is there waiting for him? Uh, you know, he 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 holds him up at gunpoint. Didn't want to do it this way. Uh, he, he manages to avoid getting shot. He kind of like, uh, harpoons, uh, like a, a pipe that sets off steam where he can get away for a second. Uh, then, then, you know, puts Carl Weathers down like Ivan Drago and Rocky four. Well, that was, that was the carbonite machine. 
Oh, was it? Okay. I couldn't tell. So he, he hit the controls in the carbonite machine, released that carbonite. Yeah. It, it, just enough to, to give a little to smoke screen for him to, yeah. to jump back. Yeah. So just like he <laughs> clearly has the mobile version of what, you know, only a few years ago was a huge industrial uh, gymnasium size like computers it did the the, the, the technology <laughs> shrunk yeah. pretty rapidly <laughs> yeah and apparently you can just shoot a grappling hook at the button and it just you know psh, turns on and then no safety you know, triggers uh, on that fucking thing whatsoever just nope just it's just ready to go the moment something bumps it you're fucking frozen <laughs> baby yoda is just gonna be fucking around in the ship one day just gonna freeze him so like just very just come on you gotta baby proof that ship there is no OSHA in the outer rim. <laughs> I'm very, very worried about that. I'm very worried that the that baby O is going to suck himself out the vac tube by accident. There's no door on it. There's no seat. I mean, very dangerous ship to be on as as a, as a young uh, young whatever the hell he is. Um, and but, all the catwalks have no railings. Like what? How do people oh not God. just die all the time? I know. Just seems unnecessary to not just make basic safety precautions in those ships. But whatever. Um, that's Star Wars. So. Uh, yeah, so he he knocks him out of the ship. Uh, he was saved by his best car. Obviously, he got shot right in the best car, very conveniently. Um, I, and I was actually kind of surprised, like, oh shit, they actually killed Carl Weathers off for this early. But no, he's he's still alive. Just just uh, knocked off the ship, uh, and and Mandalorian takes off. He sees one of his uh, Mandalorian comrades kind of giving him an escort out of out of orbit uh on a jetpack and he says you know I oh, that was that was the main guy that was the big guy that was, that that was, was the, the heavy big... trooper yeah i don't know if he has a name yeah 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 he was he was giving him the uh the the iron man uh yeah exactly salute in midair uh, rocketeer salute in midair thing very very reminiscent of iron man uh and he says i gotta get one of those um and just an adorable full circle moment uh takes the knob off of the throttle and hands it to baby yoda uh as as the episode ends so just incredible incredible stuff amazing storytelling i want to talk about the frame of that shot too because we've seen a lot of like three point like you know we we saw when baby yoda reached for it it was like a behind baby and then it switched to like almost like a 90 degree like two degree angle looking up at baby yoda you can see mandalorian looking down at him and then when he reaches for it and it's not there anymore it's this great you know shallow focus uh uh, three-point perspective in this when we see both of them together again it's like baby's down below the console and you can just see the hand reaching up and the camera's kind of looking down you can just barely see his eyes in the shadow his hand reaching up like it's just like a little uh almost like two uh like uh, the docking ports of two ships trying to meet together and yeah. he, he kind of unscrews it and holds it there for a second, you know, baby Yoda's three finger hands, just like waiting for it, lets it go. And it drops about two inches and just goes plop. And he's got it now, you know, <laughs> and it's just, it's just the most great little nonverbal character development where he goes from telling him that's not a toy to, Oh yeah. That's the thing that reminded me that I missed you and had to save your life to, all right, you know what? It is your toy now. Cause fuck it <laughs> yeah now that, that was his way of being like i love you little fucker in that moment like that was that was his you know that was his admission that like yeah all right <laughs> i just threw away everything that i you know have been working towards in terms of being a bounty hunter but it's for a yeah. good fucking you know it, it, but it's great and it's now it's going to be the story and and it's you know the first three episodes were really the story of, of of acquiring baby yoda and i think from now on it's going to be a story of trying to stay a step ahead of the empire and of the bounty hunters guild and what that entails and where that involves him going and what involves him learning about, about this civilization that baby Yoda comes from. Hopefully. And that's maybe. what I want, you know, yeah. like I don't want to just be, like, Oh, it's a clone of Yoda. Like I want to learn more about what it is from somebody who's sort of reluctant to ask questions, but finally is right. Cause he's like, what is this? How is this thing? Telekinetic, you know, like they, Car Car Weathers character, you know, when he's a hologram and he's telling him like, oh, it's great. You got the bounty already. I don't know if the client wants to eat it or hang it on the wall. Like they're so rare. They don't think it's a sentient being. They think it's just an animal. Yeah. You know, and and that's where his mind frame is, too, at the beginning. He's like, wait a minute. This this thing clearly is not just a, you know, like the little rodent thing that they're they're cooking up on the rotisserie out in the courtyard of this uh, little town here. This is something different. Right. And. And I love that. I love that there's like the, such differing levels of information about this universe. And that kind of shows how vast it is that even though he's a Mandalorian, we've seen Mandalorians 
uh, fighting alongside of Jedi's before, he doesn't know anything about this. He's been a part of that world for his whole life or most of his whole life, right? So uh, different levels, different processes of learning. Like that's that's what's interesting to me. And I think that's that's kind of what these showrunners are aware of is we might know every last fucking detail, but this character doesn't know it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's the great thing about them being in this, the whole idea of the Outer Rim is being so removed from uh, the mainstream of, of, of society and the Star Wars universe that they don't know what uh, is happening in a lot of cases in, in these in these massive battles where we're like, how do you not know who Luke Skywalker and Yoda and all these people are? It's like, well, because they're in these fucking Outer Rim planets. The only interaction they have with the Empire is when they come and steal their resources. They have no dog in that fight necessarily because the the rebel the rebel alliance and then the new republic hasn't done anything to help them either it's a very it's actually something yeah, he jokes about yeah he's like he's yeah, like, he's oh, like oh, we're not gonna complain, fucking talk complain to, to them <laughs> it's also a different culture too like there's there's the very mystic uh mythological world of the jedi uh, and then there's the very practical world of like, oh, we just we're, we're smuggling things and we don't believe in all that crap. And that's like they're almost they've heard about it and detest it because it's just so not a part of what they are. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so just fascinating. Uh, look at different parts of the Star Wars universe that we've never really explored before. Um, and it's great. Uh, it's just it's just tremendous. The show took an amazing leap forward. And I think I, I think we're all just super psyched to see where it goes uh from here the possibilities are endless uh you know it doesn't feel nearly as contained as the previous couple episodes as much as i love those episodes they did feel very small scale you know like you know very i think we described them as like a story of the week kind of serial situation i feel like i think he needed it though if they cut straight because they could have not even had a second episode they could have straight cut straight from the pilot to this Mm -hmm. would have been too rushed all that characterization would have felt forced and rushed or like they needed time to have something happen to make him you know question care about this baby and question what the fuck is going on yeah, him it, Yoda it, saving him from the Mudhorn certainly was a very formative moment for what we're going to see from the rest of the series. You know, sure. Well, you know, and, and I said this I think on last cast, but like they're the the fact that they're not cross cutting between different action on different worlds makes it a very subjective experience, and you have to have it that be that way because you have a character that has few lines and no facial expressions so far. So, like, you have to be cognizant of every little movement he's making and if you go anywhere else you'll forget you know who he is and what he's doing um so i love that you know to to broaden the the world they're telling a much smaller subjective story as opposed to a uh objective story where we're jumping from uh you know action on an asteroid belt to action on another planet to you know a c plot where they're on a casino planet which no one liked (laughs) um it just well not as much but um and it's great that, you know, they're working off existing source material, doing something, I think, more different than they've ever done before. You know, at the same time as we're, we're also having this amazing show on HBO, uh, Watchmen, which is doing something just absolutely incredibly unexpected with source material that was already existing for you know decades. And no one has, for the most part, done anything different with it in all that time. So, uh, you know, if you really like exciting risk-taking television uh, on par with the things that movies used to do and don't anymore. Like it, it's, it's a great time to be alive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that pretty much does it for us this week, uh, with this episode, uh, great episode. Can't wait to see what comes next. Can't wait to see what Deborah Chow does with Obi-Wan. Cause she is, as we mentioned, the showrunner. Uh, and we've said on the, we we've, we've professed our love for Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi many times on this show and on other shows. And, you know, in many ways he was the best part of the original, uh, the, or the, the prequels rather, uh, and in all the ways it was the best part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did, you know, certainly, uh, involved in all of the best parts <laughs> if not, you know, uh, but yeah, so, uh, that's going to be great. Can't wait to see where that goes. And, um, yeah, if you like what you hear from uh, this show, as you mentioned, we also do a Watchmen review that goes up usually every Monday night, uh, and that's called What's Left of the Watchmen. Uh, you can find that in the same feed you're finding this in, uh, soundcloud.com slash moveleft, or search for Move Left Idiots on Apple Podcasts. 
Uh, we host our main political show, Move Left Idiots, which is our new weekly news show uh, from a socialist perspective, and that goes up usually on Thursday nights. Um, we are on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash idiots. Patreon at patreon.com slash move left, uh, tinyurl.com slash move left merch. Uh, if you want to pick up any merch from the show, uh, I am on Twitter at move underscore left. And I'm on Twitter at smut collector with an ER, not an OR. Yep. We'll see you next week.